Welcome to today's Bible study with Pastor Josh Tice. The next time you're in Las Vegas, we'd love to meet you in person at Southern Hills. If you happen to watch us regularly, please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel and consider sharing this video with a friend. You can support the ministries of Southern Hills by visiting southernhillslv.com and clicking the Give tab. Now, sit back, relax, and get ready to learn how the Bible is relevant in your life today. And you made it back to church. Give yourself a round of applause. You did it. You're here. And you're ready to go. You survived Thanksgiving. Are you still thankful? How many of you are still thankful? If you are, say amen. 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 You made it through. You're here. You celebrated. And you're still thankful. What are you thankful for? And I want to play a little back and forth today. I'm going to say, I'm thankful for, fill in the blank, I'm thankful for, and then you tell me what you're thankful. Somebody raise your hand. Tell me what they're thankful for. I'm thankful for, somebody raise your hand. Yes, yes, right back here. What? Good health, ladies and gentlemen, that's a great, give her a round of applause, I like that one, We're good health, I'm thankful for, yes sir, in the back, yes, the church, yes, especially the pastor, give him a round of applause, that's right, yeah, that's what you meant to say as well, I'm sure, the church, amen, somebody else, I'm thankful for, yes, being a mom, oh, she just said being a mom, everybody go, being a mom, oh, It's adorable. I love it. Somebody else, I'm thankful for. What are you thankful for? Yes. My family. Her family. That's twice as adorable. Everybody. Oh. How many thankful for coffee today? Can I get an amen? <laughs> how, how many of you had some this morning? Uh, some of God's divine nectar. How many of you? This is God's gift. God's gift to us is his son, Jesus Christ, the church of God in coffee. Amen. And amen. How many of you are not on the coffee wagon yet? You're not quite there? You're not a coffee person? Raise your hand. That's all right. We're praying that you'll see the light. Amen. <laughs> I remember I had a friend in college. His name was Brian. And uh, Brian was, was a deep coffee fanatic. Josh, come to the Palms Grill. Have a cup of coffee. No, that's fine. Come on, have a cup. And he sat me down. He poured a cup of coffee. And he poured this hot brown liquid into a cup. I'd seen it before, you know. I wasn't all that interested. I smelled it, it smelled okay. And then I tasted it, it tastes like bitter, dark bean juice, you know. <laughs> Why am I tasting this? And then over the years, it, I just started to get into it, you know what I mean? Like to wake up in the morning at Thanksgiving or Christmas or every day and have that warm cup of Folgers or whatever, you know, and you smell it coming up and the aroma. How many of you just, you're ready to, oh, you're drinking it right now, aren't you? Yeah, he's <laughs> so good. But I remember with this guy, Brian, man, he kept trying to push it on me and uh, try it, try it, no. Then I had a friend, whenever I moved out to Las Vegas, his name was John, and John would always be going over to the coffee bean. Come on, Josh, you gotta try it, try it. No, I don't want, don't want your numb coffee. And then somewhere along the way, I tried a Frappuccino which is basically a chocolate shake with coffee in it, you know what I mean? And I'm like, if I can, get past, if I can choke past the coffee flavor, I like the chocolate shake, you know? Then the, the taste just got to me, and now I just drink all coffee of any kind. I saw the light. 
In today's sermon, the light equals the truth. I want you to say it with me. The light equals the truth. Say it with me. The light equals the truth. Say it again. The light equals the truth. Today's sermon is called Shine, Never Reject the Light. And, and it's not necessarily a standalone sermon. It comes within a context of Luke chapter 11, where the things that happened before it and the things that happened after it are essential to understanding the text itself. Because today we're going to study a riddle. Say riddle. We're going to study a riddle from Jesus himself. And if you don't understand what came before it, you don't understand what comes after it, you're not going to understand the riddle itself and what Jesus is talking about when he talks about the light. The light equals the truth. The light equals the, the truth. And what came before it was this. If you've been here the last two weeks, in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13, Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. And at the end, he says, pray for the one thing that gets you all the things. And the one thing was what? The Holy Spirit. And then he says, I don't want you to quench the Holy Spirit. And he shows us four ways that people can quench the Holy Spirit of God in their lives. Today, we pick up with that theme in verse 29. And we talk about this idea from verse 29 following the idea that when you smother the light of God in your life, you are rejecting the truth of God and you're going to receive damnation. But when you receive the light of God, you receive salvation. Receive the light equals salvation. Receive the light equals salvation. Let's go ahead and get into it today by studying this historically and theologically. Now, what do you mean by that, Pastor? Okay. Today's sermon is going to be very different. How many of you have been part of our church, Southern Hills, for at least six months? How many of you have been here for at least six months? Raise your hand real high. How many of you? All right, most of you. Okay. So if you've only been here the last six months or you're newer, you may have never seen a sermon from pastor like this because it's different than what I normally do. Today, what we're going to do to get to the main point of the sermon, I have to go through history and theology to get to the point. Now, if you don't understand the pathway of this sermon, you're going to get lost along the way. So the first step in our sermon today is history. The second step is theology. And the third step is the point. And the point is the idea that you're going to take away with you. I'm going to say first step, you say history. First step, history. the second step, theology. And the third step, that's the point. That's the point. So let's begin with point number one or that first step in the path history. The very first step I want you to see as it relates to the light is the historical precedent that throughout history, since the day of early man, since all the way at the beginning of Genesis, here's the historical precedent. That if you receive the light, you'll have salvation. If you reject the light, you'll receive damnation. It's all throughout the history, and Jesus goes through that history here in verse 29. While they were gathered together, the crowds were thickly gathered together. The Bible says that Jesus was teaching a crowd that was so packed in, it was, it was referred to as thick. And the Bible says, Jesus said to them, this is an evil generation. It seeks a sign. And no sign will be given this generation except for the sign of Jonah the prophet. Now, why does Jesus talk about they want a sign? Well, to understand that, you have to go back to verse 16. Remember, we read the Bible in its context. 
And in verse 16, after Jesus teaches them about prayer and praying for the Holy Spirit, they, the crowd brings up two problems. The first problem they bring up is, Jesus, you cast out demons by the power of demons. And then somebody brings up a problem and they say to Jesus, Jesus, give us a sign and we'll believe you. So what Jesus does is deal with the demons by demons accusation first. Now he's going back to the second accusation, and that is they wanted to see a, a special sign, like a miracle. They wanted a sign from Jesus. And Jesus said, I'll give you a sign. The one sign I'll give you is the same sign that Jonah gave the people of Nineveh. You say, well, what did Jonah give Nineveh? Well, Jonah was swallowed by a well and for three days was submerged. And after three days, he resurrected from death. Jesus is saying, you want a sign? I'll give you a sign. I'm going to go into the ground for three days, and after three days, I'm going to resurrect just like Jonah did. That's his sign. Now the passage goes on. It says in verse number 30, for Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. The Queen of the South, oh, who's that? We're going to study more about her in a moment will rise up in judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came to the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. The queen of Ethiopia came from the south all the way up to Israel to listen to Solomon's wisdom. She received the lights, but these people that Jesus was talking to were rejecting the lights. Indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. Jesus says, I'm better than Solomon. If she listened to Solomon, you should listen to Jesus. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment against this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. Jesus said, the people of Nineveh repented when they heard Jonah. Why don't you repent when you hear me? Because I'm Jesus. I'm better than Jonah. That's what Jesus' point is. Now, the problem that yours have, you have and I have right now is that we live in the United States of America in 2022, and we don't understand the historical references the same way Jesus' audience did 2,000 years ago. So to really understand this passage, I need to take you through the historical precedent and then get to the theology. So let's talk about the history of Nineveh. Nineveh was a great city, huge, magnificent, and by all accounts, extremely beautiful, wealthy. It was the first capital city of what most historians call the first world empire the world had ever seen. Long before Rome, long before Genghis Khan, long before any of the other Greek empires or Babylonian empires, there was the Assyrian Empire. And the capital of the Assyrian Empire was Nineveh. I'm going to say capital of Assyrian Empire. You say Nineveh. The capital of the Assyrian Empire was Nineveh. And it looks like a beautiful place to visit, doesn't it? Of course it does, because this is painted by an artist who was never there. <laughs> but as you look at it, doesn't it look like a beautiful place? Right there on the, the banks of the uh, Tigris River and the Euphrates, right there. Uh, you, well, for those, some of you may have actually been there. Actually, I look around, some of you may have been there. This is no joke. If you've served in the uh, United States Armed Forces and was ever in northern Iraq, a mazel, okay, so that right there is where ancient Nineveh would have been. Family member that ever served in northern Iraq, that's exactly where modern day Nineveh, the ruins of Nineveh are to this day. <coughs> and it was an amazing city. 
How many of you would have liked to go back in time and travel and see this city with me back in its heyday 2,800 years ago? How many of you would go with me? Raise your hand. How many of you would go? Yeah, you're raising your hand? It's because you don't know how bad this city actually was. <laughs> Excuse me. You say, what do you mean, Pastor? It was not a great place. It was a very violent city, very violent culture. In fact, the entire culture itself was built upon violence, and that's how they expanded their empire. They are referred to by a lot of historians as the, some of you won't like this statement, but it's true. They're referred to as the Nazis of the ancient world because of how they progressed in their warfare. You, you know about the Nazis in Blitzkrieg throughout Europe? Sure. Who was the inventors of this idea of vast amounts of forces going across the border quickly, taking over, destroying, and slaughtering people? Well, this was the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire was the very first empire to have a fully paid standing army full time. And they just used it tremendously. They were very violent in their takeover. What they would do, if you have children in the room, this is, a, this is, this is gonna be very violent. I'm gonna speak of violence here. They, they would take the people and they would impel them from the bottom part of them through their body up to their skull, holding them up and then they would stake the pill into the ground. They would not do this dozens of times. They would not do this hundreds of times. They would do this thousands of times and they would line the streets on their way to conquering with the corpses hanging from the impel. This is, tw this is 2,000, over 2,000 years before a guy named Vlad the Impaler would do this throughout Europe. 2,000 years before any of that, the Assyrian Empire was doing this. They would fillet the corpses, excuse me, the living uh, soldiers of their enemies, take them and literally cut the skin off of their entire body while they lived. They would do this with their high-ranking officials. Dangerous, terrible, wicked, nasty people. And we know about this not only because of the historical records, but because they bragged about it by carving it into their walls. They can see, be seen even to this day. One of their greatest leaders, let's go ahead and look at the quote so you can understand. Uh, this is Asher, uh, Asher Nazapal II. He said this, and this is written in his own historical documentation. I built a pillar of the city gate, which I flayed all the chiefs and covered the pillar with their skin. Some I walled up inside of the pillar. Uh, presumably they thir thirsted and starved and to death. Some I impelled upon the pillar with stakes and others I bound no stakes around, uh, round about the pillar. I cut the limbs off of the royal officers. Their young men and maidens I burned with fire and took many as living slaves. This is their king, their emperor, bragging about what he accomplished. A violent, wicked people. For some, I cut off their noses and ears and fingers and put out many eyes. I made one pillar of heads and bound their heads to tree trunks round the city. If you were to visit Nineveh with me 2,800 years ago, we would be walking down a road, and one of the first things we would see before we get to the gates of the city are pyramids built by human skulls, many of them half decaying, some recently taken, and some fully decayed, just the bone left. This was their way of welcoming those who wanted to visit their town. And so no wonder whenever God goes to his prophet, Jonah, and says, Jonah, go and preach to Nineveh that I want to save them. Jonah's like, I don't want to go to Nineveh. I hate them. Burn them. 
Sometimes, listen, sometimes the people of God can hate the people that God loves. Let me say that again. Sometimes the people of God can be guilty of hating the people that God loves, even though God wants to save the worst of us. Aren't you thankful that God wants to save the worst of us? Can I get an amen? Say, wait, wait, wait. Are you telling me that God wants to save even the worst? You better be thankful God wants to save the worst. Because if you haven't realized it yet, you and I are among the worst. More on that in a moment. So what happened to Nineveh? Well, Nineveh was going to be destroyed. And so God sent them a prophet, Jonah, and said, Jonah, tell them they better repent. If not, the entire village, the entire city, and yes, their entire empire would be destroyed. So Jonah goes and he preaches. And you know what happens? Well, the Bible tells us that Nineveh repents. You can read all about it in the story of Jonah, chapters 3 and 4. They all repent and they all throw up ashes and rip their clothes and they say, oh God, we believe in you. They begin to pull down their false gods. They begin to throw away all their violence. They begin to turn to God. Their main, one of their main gods was a god named Dagon. He was the, the fish god and the man who came out of a fish, Jonah, preached to them about the one true God to turn their back on the fish god and all of the other gods. And in doing so, fascinatingly enough, Nineveh was saved for another 100 and almost 150 years. You say, why? Here's why. Because no matter how bad you are, if you receive the light, you receive salvation. No matter how good you are, if you reject the light, you receive damnation. Jonah was teaching bad people about receiving the light. Jesus was teaching good people about receiving the light. And Jesus was saying the Ninevites who are bad receive the light, got salvation. If you reject the light, though you're good, you'll have damnation. The second illustration he gives is of the queen of the south. We historically refer to her as the queen of Sheba. Now, the queen of Sheba would have been an actual person who lived uh, 3,000 years ago, and she would have been the empress of the entire um, empire of Sheba, which <coughs> would have encompassed uh, much of what we would say as modern Yemen and Amman and, and the bottom part of the Arabian Peninsula, but it would have crossed over the Red Sea and over the Gulf of Aden, around the Horn of Africa, and it would have gone down through uh, what you see there in parts of Africa, almost all the way to Somalia. She was a very powerful queen. She was a very wealthy queen. She was a very important person, but she did not know about God. Now, even though she did not know about God, just like the Ninevites, God loved her. Aren't you thankful that God loves us? Amen? And so what does God do? Well, the Bible tells us that she began to seek from deep inside of her conscience. She began to seek for truth. And she heard about a wise man up in the north, a king of a place called Israel, who worshiped not many gods, but one God, the one true God, Jehovah. And so she brings a trade delegation all the way up to the north, and she begins to establish trade with Israel. And when she does... She notices how wise Solomon is. And according to 1 Kings chapter 10, the more she learned about Solomon's wisdom, the more she realized that Solomon's wisdom came from the one true God and that all she needed to do was herself 
repent of her sin, and receive Jehovah God as the one true God. And history tells us that's exactly what she did. She went back down to her empire and she began to tell people about the God of Israel, Jehovah God, Elohim, the one true God. And so what do we see here? Jesus is saying, this woman, this woman named the Queen of Sheba received the light and received salvation. What was true historically for Nineveh and what was true historically for Sheba is also true for the the people who live right now, the children of humanity. That's what John tells us in John chapter 1, whenever G John says about Jesus. In John chapter 1, he says, in Jesus was life, and this life was the light of man. Jesus was the light of man. I want, I'm going to say, who is Jesus? You say the light of man. Who is Jesus? Okay, but look at what it says in verse 5. And the light shines in darkness, but the darkness did not comprehend it. Jesus showed up and he shined in a dark world, but they did not understand him. In fact, they, only, they not only did, did not understand them, they tried to extinguish Jesus Christ. They tried to put him out. They killed him. They crucified him. They buried him. The problem was Jesus Christ did not stay dead. He rose from the grave and his disciples have been spreading the light for thousands of years. Many people rejected Jesus, but some people received Jesus. Look, it goes on. But he came to his own and his own did not receive him. Listen now, listen, listen. There are many people who think, listen, there are many people who think they are people of God, but they do not receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. They reject God, they reject light, they reject the truth, and in doing so, they receive damnation. Though many rejected him, verse 12, but as many as received him, to them, God gave the power to be called the children of God. Only those who believed on his name. So just like the people of Nineveh and just like Queen of Sheba, so you, if you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you repent of your sin, if you actually call upon Jesus Christ and believe on him, the Bible says you'll be saved too. If you receive the light, salvation comes. If you reject the light, damnation, damnation is yours. That is the historical perspective. I've already told you the pathway of the sermon is very simple. Number one, we see the historical precedent. Number two, I want you to see the theological promise. I'm going to say number two, you say theological promise. Number two, theological promise. Say, what is the theological promise? The theological promise is that if you reject the light, you'll receive damnation. If you receive the light, you'll receive salvation. Look at what he says. No one, Jesus says, when he has lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand that all those that may came, come into the house may see the light. Back then, they did not have multiple lights in a home like we do everywhere, just flick a switch. During the nighttime, they would have probably one little lamp that they would place in the middle of the room on top of a table. 
And that light would shine in the middle of the small room they called their home, and it would illuminate most of the entire room so that anybody who came in could see the light. Nobody would invite somebody over and take the entire bushel or some kind of a basket and place it over the light. Why? Because if you did that, people could not see. Nobody would do that. So instead, they shine brightly. Jesus is saying, God does the same thing. God is not trying to hide the light from you. Listen to me. God is not trying to hide the light. He shines it brightly. He's shining brightly the light to you in so many ways. You can see the light of God every time you look into creation. You can see the light of God every time you look into the skies of heaven. You can see the light of God every time you walk through a forest. You can see the light of God every time you look into the face of a baby child. You can see the light of God every time you see kindness given to a stranger. You can see the light of God in creation itself. You can see the light of God from your own conscience. Somewhere deep inside of you, you know the difference between right and wrong. You know what is right and you know what is wrong. God's conscience or God's law is written deeply upon your own heart. No matter if you have a religious background or not, you know it's right. It's not right to hurt people. You know it's right to help people. How do you know this? Because God's light has been shining through creation. God's light has been shining through your own conscience. You know this to be the case. And so what is God doing? He is shining brightly the light to you. However, the problem is humans love darkness rather than light because our deeds are evil. And when the light of God shines up in our hearts, we realize, man, there's a lot of things I do that God doesn't like. And so we try to quench the darkness or the light so that we can live in darkness. Look at Jesus goes on in verse number 34. The lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, whether your eye is good or the whole body also is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. What does this mean? It's saying if your eyes don't work, you're blind. The eye is how we receive light. You say, now some of you might think to yourself, Pastor Josh, here's the reality. I know what you're saying. I just don't believe any of that. I don't believe in the light of God. I don't even believe in a God. And here's why. Here's why. Because you are willfully blind. At some point, you've plucked out your own spiritual light in your own life. God has tried to reveal himself to you through circumstance. God has tried to reveal himself to you through some aunt or some uncle or some parent or some grandparent or from the word of God or by somebody telling you about Jesus or one day you were skipping through channels and you saw a preacher or because somebody invited you to church or you remember that moment in confirmation or you remember when you were nine years old and you heard that Sunday school lesson and God has been trying to get through to you but for some reason you have plucked out your spiritual eyes and you, you refuse. You'd rather live in darkness. I told you last week why we do this. Some of us do it, we smother the light because we want to easily dismiss God in our lives. This has nothing to do with God, this is my life. Some of us smother the light because we want to argue with God about our sin. I'll do what I want to do. Who are you to tell me what is right and wrong? And you smother the light. Some of us smother the light because we'd rather 
redeem ourselves than let God revive us. And we smother the light of God in our lives. Why? Because we as humans are utterly and completely, oh, some of us won't like this, we are rebellious against God. And so what we must do is repent of our rebellious sin and receive the light of Jesus Christ. But your eye is bad, then your whole body is full of darkness. Oh, friend, don't be willfully blind against what God is trying to do in your life. Goes on in verse number, look, it goes on in verse number 35. Therefore, take heed that the light which you have, you think you have, is not darkness. There's some people that think they have light inside of themselves. You don't have a relationship with God, but you have a religion. And so you think it's light, but all you carry around with you is darkness all the time. This is why even though you're religious, you have no joy. You, you're religious, but you have no peace. You're religious, but you have no patience and gentleness and goodness and faith and love and self-control. It's not there. Why? Because the light that you think you have is actually darkness. Pastor, people will often ask, Pastor, how do I know if I'm saved? I think I'm light. How do I know it's not darkness? The answer is the fruits of the Spirit of God. If your daily life is filled with love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and self-control, then you have received the light. Be careful, though, that you think it's light, but it's actually darkness because you are following a religion rather than having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Then if your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, then the whole body will be filled with light. And when it is bright and shiny lamp gives you this light. Here's the point. The more light that you receive, the more light you'll be given. But the more light you reject, the more darkness will come. The more light you receive from God, the more light God gives you. The more light you reject from God, the more darkness comes in your life. If you're sitting here today, you say, my life is, I got to be honest, I try to put on a good face, but my life is filled with darkness. You have to come to the realization you have rejected light over and over and over. So what do I do? Well, apparently it's not too late because God has brought you to a place of light to receive the light. And God does this because he is good and he loves to shine light into dark places. Isn't God good? Do you believe God is good? Say amen. amen. Let's talk about the theology. The theology can be understood in two steps. What we call general revelation or special revelation. Can you repeat it back to me? General revelation, special revelation. Say it again. General revelation, special revelation, meaning that God is generally revealing himself to mankind in two ways. God did not just create us, spin the world like a top, and walk away. There is a God, and he reveals himself to mankind. He reveals himself to you in these two ways. In a general way, he reveals himself to all mankind. And then for those who receive the light of general revelation, God will reveal more of himself to you in a special way. In what ways does he reveal himself generally to all mankind? Well, he reveals himself generally to all mankind through creation. Like you can know about God just by looking into the stars. You can know about God by looking at creation. What kind of a fool looks at the creation of the world and thinks, this must have been an accident? 
say, but a lot of people think that way. That's because a lot of people are fools who have rejected the light of God and would rather live in darkness. You don't have a creation without a creator. Somebody made you. You're not an accident, friend. Your personality, your personhood, everything about you has a design and a purpose. And so it's true for you and your family and this community and this country and this world and this universe. God created you. And all you have to do is look into the stars of heaven like Psalm number 19 says. Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day they utter speech. Night unto night they show forth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. There's no country or people group or nation where the skies do not shout out. There's a creator. There's a creator. There's a creator. He shines it brightly. The question is, will you darken it and say, I don't want to believe in that. And a lot of people do choose to blind themselves. Not only does God reveal himself in a general way through creation, God reveals himself in a general way through our conscience. Romans chapter 2 talks about that. It says, do you ever wonder why every Gentile nation around the world has laws about not killing each other? Is it because they have the law of Moses? No. Why do they have laws about not stealing from each other? It's because the law of God is written on the heart of every Gentile. Deep down inside of you, you know it's wrong to hurt people and you know it's right to help people. You say, but pastor, there are some people who hurt innocent people. There are some people who don't try to help, they try to hurt. What's going on with those people? They have rejected the light and they choose to live in darkness because their deeds are evil. God has revealed himself generally through creation, through our own conscience. And if we receive the light from God, here's what happens. If you receive the light from God, God is obligated to send more light. But if you reject the light of God, God is under no obligation to send you more light. Let me say that again because it's the key to the sermon. If you reject the light of God that he has given you, God is under no obligation to give you more light. If you say, look at this crazy world. How did it come to be? God says, I created you. I don't want to believe that. I am my own master and my own God. God is under no obligation to send you any kind of special message about who he is and how he can save your soul. You've already rejected the light. He's under no obligation to send you more light. Does this make sense? But if you receive the light, God will send more light. Special revelation, meaning you'll learn about the actual written word of God, the Bible. You'll learn about Jesus Christ himself who died upon the cross, was buried, and rose from the grave. Whenever I say believe on Jesus and you'll be saved, reject Jesus and you'll be damned, some people of a logical, rational perspective might ask the question, what about those who have never heard the name of Jesus? You ever thought that? Like, what about those, like, in the middle of nowhere out there that have never even heard about Jesus? Like, what, what happens to those people? And the answer to that question is, if they receive the light they've been given, God will send them more light. But if they reject the light they've been given, God is under no obligation to send them more light. 
History is filled with stories of the ones like I'm about to share with you. I'll give you an example. There was a, a missionary named Bill, Bill Rice II. He came from Tennessee and went all the way to Africa. And when he was there, he was ministering among the pygmies in the, basin, in the Congo Basin. And they were visiting specifically villages that had no outside contact with the Western world or with any kind of Christian influence because they were there to share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. This would have taken place back in the 1940s to 1950s. When he arrived in one specific pygmy village, uh, he arrived and there was a great welcome. This was unusual among the villages they had visited. But there was a, not just a welcome, it was a celebration presented by the chief himself. Welcome, we're glad you're here, they said through a translator. They brought them in, served a grand meal, and then asked Bill Rice to preach through a translator all about why he had come. So, not over a day, not over a week, but over a long period of time, they began to tell the story of God the one who created the entire world. God, the one who loves each and every one of them individually. But God, who understood that all of them individually are sinners and that their sin, their violence, their hatred, their, 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 their filthy sins against God were going to be judged by God. Every single one sat there in awe listening to this man preach the gospel. And after weeks of explaining, he said, but God himself who made you loves you, and he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to pay for your sins. He was buried, and he rose from the grave, and he offers you salvation. If you repent and receive Jesus, you'll be saved. The chief of the village was the very first one who came and personally talked with Bill, and the chief of the village called upon Jesus Christ and asked Jesus to be a savior. Much of the village followed suit, not all. It wasn't until months later that Bill Rice heard the rest of the story. Say, what was the rest of the story? The man sat with Bill and explained, I knew you were coming. He said, how did you know I was coming? He said, I knew you were coming because I want you to see this tree. And the chief of the village walked out to the edge of the the, the village where there was a large tree sitting up over the entire jungle. He said, do you see the top of that? Yes. Do you see how it can see over all the, the, the canopy? Yes. He said, way up in the top, there I sat just several years ago and I prayed. He said, I called out not to the spirits we worship, but the great spirit who created the entire world. I said to him, great spirit who created the stars and great spirit who created the entire jungle and great spirit who created me. I don't know who you are. Please send somebody to tell me about who you are. He said, I crawled up to that tree every day and kept praying, send somebody to tell me who you are. He said, so I knew you were coming. This man received the light of creation and his conscience. God was obligated to send him a missionary to give him more light. It happens for people like that tribe in the Congo, as it happens for people like in Nineveh, who were totally running from God in a dark against God, but God sent them a messenger. It also happened for Jing. It doesn't just happen in places out there, it happens in places like Las Vegas. You see, our church started about 20 years ago, and about year number three, there was a, a young woman who started coming to our church 
And she wanted to go grab some coffee. We sat down and Jing said to me, Pastor, can I tell you my story? I said, absolutely, tell me your story. She said, this is how I became a believer in Jesus Christ. I said, tell me. She said, well, my, nobody in my family was a believer in Jesus. In fact, I grew up in a place that didn't even talk about Jesus Christ. She said, as you know, I'm an immigrant from a smaller, t a smaller city in China. I said, yeah. She said, my entire family, though most of my friends were Buddhist, my entire family was Islamist. We grew up worshiping Allah and following the teachings of Muhammad. She said, but throughout my entire life, I never experienced joy, true peace, and satisfaction in my soul. I knew something wasn't right. She said, my mother began to get very ill, and my mother and I were very close. And I was overwhelmed and wrought with all sorts of anxiety. And so my friends came to me and said, maybe Islam is not the way for you. Maybe you can try being Buddhist like we are. And she said, I left the Islamic faith and I began to search out Buddhism. And I spent several months into years searching out Buddhism. And whereas I used to worship Allah, I now began to worship Buddha. And I began to celebrate and follow the teachings of Buddha. But she said, throughout it all, I never felt a sense of peace. I never felt a sense of understanding. I never felt like I understood God. And she said, as my mother grow, grew worse and as I felt even more dark, I, I decided to go out into the city park and lay down on the grass and I stared up to the blue sky that was above me. And this is what she said to me with tears coming down her eyes over a cup of coffee. She said to me, Pastor, I called out to the God who made the sky. God I know you are not Allah, and I know you are not Buddha, and I don't know who you are. Please tell me about yourself, because I know you made all these things and you made me. She said that night she went home, and her father looked at her and said, I believe you need to move to the United States to go to university. Pastor, two things you need to know about me. Number one, everybody in my family, nobody in my family had ever been to the United States for education. Number two, everybody in my family always does everything my father says. I said, okay. She said, within a few months, I was already registered and accepted in a university in Southern California. I moved to Los Angeles. She said, within one week of moving to Los Angeles, she had a friend come up and invite her to the first Chinese Baptist Church of Los Angeles. She went to church. She sat in church just the way you are. She heard the preaching of the gospel that God created her. God loves her. God has a plan for her, but we're all sinners, and our sin is going to damn us to hell, and so we must repent of our sin and receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. And the Bible, and she told me, she said, while I was sitting there and I heard about Jesus for the first time, God made me remember laying on my back, looking up at the sky and praying to him. And God said to me, I'm answering your prayer. This is who I am. And so some people are like the queen of Sheba who are seeking for truth. And God says, you've received light. Let me bring you to the truth. Some people are like Jing Heard who are receiving the truth and the light they've been given. And so God says, let me bring you to actual, special, true revelation to know about Jesus and the Holy Word of God. If you receive the light, God will send you more light. But if you reject the light, 
God is under no obligation to give you any more. And you will be damned to live in darkness the rest of your life and then spend eternity in a fiery pit of darkness according to the scripture. Why does Jesus tell us this riddle? If not for us to get to the today's point. And today's point is very simple. I went through the history, I went through the theology to get to the point for you. And the point for you is the same as it was for all of the people we talked about. What you have in common with the Queen of Sheba, what you have in common with the people of Nineveh, what you have in common with the Congo Basin, what you have in common with those in, in, in parts of China, what you have in common with every person who's ever lived, and that is, if you receive the light, you'll receive salvation. If you reject the light, you will receive damnation. And I am not going to be a good pastor to you if I don't wake you up to the reality that if you keep turning God away, it's to the detriment of your own soul. So I ask you the question before you go, because we got to go. What light has God been trying to shine in your life? For some of you, you were saved years ago. You received the light of salvation. Good. What has God been trying to shine a light on you about? Maybe a sin. Maybe something you're supposed to do. Maybe something you're supposed to get rid of. And God keeps revealing it to you. Maybe it's an attitude. It's an issue. It's a rebellious heart. Maybe something. And God's like, stop it. Stop it. And you keep going, I'll do what I want. Careful. You keep rejecting the light, God will let you live in darkness. And you'll wonder why you come to the state that you arrive in. If as a Christian, God is trying to show you something, would you go to him and say, yes, God, whatever you want? Or maybe today you're here and you're not yet a Christian. And the light God has been trying to show you is repent and receive Jesus as Savior. You don't have to die and go to hell. You don't have to spend the rest of your life in darkness without joy and peace and love and patience and self-control. You, you can have it. What you have to do is repent of your sin and receive Jesus. Receive the light. Receive salvation. Let's pray. Father, today's passage, as mysterious as it is beautiful, awakens our minds to the reality we must be willing to hear from you and see the light of truth. Oh God, help me first and foremost to do that because you know I often try to escape the light because I love darkness. Oh God, help me to be a good man who follows into the light and help these men and women to do just the same. Help us to see this truth so that we avoid the mistake of those that we're going to see in next week's passage. Oh God, help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for watching Josh Tice's most recent Bible sermon. If you think of someone who may enjoy this one, go ahead and send it or post it today. If you're ever in Las Vegas on Sunday, we'd love for you to stop by Southern Hills and see us in person. If you benefit from this virtual ministry, we'd also like to encourage you to support our gospel efforts by sending a donation to the ministries of Southern Hills. 
you can do so by visiting southernhillslv.com and clicking the Give tab.